Good morning, church. My name is Brett. I'm pastor of this people. It's good to see all of you, but especially our guests. Welcome. Glad to have you in the house. Well, happy Father's Day, fathers. There you go. It's a day where you get to have the masculine version of pampering, which means your family takes you out to dinner and you pay. <laughs> Turn with me over to the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. We're going to talk about a father of faith today. A man who doesn't get a whole lot of recognition for being a great dad because his ministry was so enormous. But the things that he did with his family and had to inculcate in order to accomplish his ministry, pretty phenomenal. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. We're going to look at Noah, a father of faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. It says, by faith, Noah being warned by God about things not yet seen in reverence, prepared an ark for the salvation of his household, by which he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. Lord, help us as we study. Noah was quite a man. He lived in a generation that was pretty wicked. I don't know if it was more wicked than any generation that has been, but it was the most wicked generation to that point. So angry did that generation make God that God said, I'm going to wipe them all out. But there's an interesting little caveat to God's desire to wipe the, the people out. It says that he was displeased that he had even made man. Now, whenever those kinds of emotions of displeasure or the, the, the sense of regret are applied to God, it's, a, it's an anthropomorphic reference, meaning the, the, the author is describing human characteristics to God to give us a better understanding of how he might respond. We know that God knows the end from the beginning. So it's not like he needs to repent of anything he decided. But we do know that there are things that happen in mankind that deserve a proper response. And so the writer in Genesis, Moses, is describing God in terms of how man would feel about what man has done. Man was bad. It says that all they thought about in Genesis 6 was evil continually. Not a good thought in anybody's head except Noah and his family. Not one good thought. Not even a passing flicker of light in somebody's brain about whether they should do good to somebody. They thought about evil continually. They woke up thinking about evil. They went to bed thinking about evil. They dreamed about thinking evil, doing evil to one another. And God said, I, I got to fix this. But I can't fix it with all these folk that are taking the, the momentum of humanity the wrong direction. 
So he said, I got to start over. And he found one guy, one, who was able to, to have a, a sense of righteousness. And it says that God was displeased that he had made man. But then verse 8, it says in, in Genesis 6, but Noah. Now, I've seen a lot of references when it talks about what man has done. Then it says, but God. We were dead in our transgressions and in our sins in Ephesians 2. And then it says, but God. We were enemies of Christ going the wrong direction in, in, in Romans chapter 5. And then it says in verse 8, but God. God does a lot of stuff in spite of man. And we are grateful because if it were not for God, we'd be worse off than we are if we would be at all. So I'm glad for the, for, for the but God decided to be merciful, but God decided to send his son. I'm glad for all those. But it's rare that you would see something where mankind is so messed up and God is intent on fixing it by judgment. And then it says, but somebody. Can your name fit in that blank? When judgment should be rendered all around you, when there's no good that can be found in your community, when folks are going the wrong way in a hurry, speeding the wrong way, and God has a passion, a tendency, a bit toward judging that thing, does he think twice about it? Because it says, but Jim. But Sandy, but Antoine, but Jose, can they fit your name in that category? But Noah, everything stank to heaven except Noah. By the way, stank is a new word. <laughs> and God said, I'm going to help, help humanity start over. And Noah, you're going to be the guy from whom all the generations come. And it says that Noah here heard something. By faith, Noah began to be a recipient of things. That he was warned by God about things not yet seen. We have to hear as dads. We can't just go along with the flow. We can't just say, well, that's the way things are. It's the way things have always been. We've got to hear things spiritually. In the midst of the world going the wrong way, Noah had his ear inclined toward heaven. Dads, in the midst of the world going the wrong way, what do you listen to? Do you listen to CNN more than you listen to God? Do you listen to your friends, their opinions? Do you listen... To CNBC about the stock market and the, and the condition of the economy. Where is your ear bent? And I beg you, don't be like the frog in the pot. It's getting worse. Jump out. Don't just allow the temperature to acclimate you to the wickedness of our society. Begin to hear something different. Allow your ear to be bent about what should be done with respect to your ministry and your family. Noah heard something. Everybody had ears, but Noah heard. Do you remember John the Baptist? He was out there baptizing folk at the River Jordan. 
Jesus came up. John said, whoa, you're amazing. Listen, I need to be baptized by you. We got to switch this thing. I know I've got a ministry going, but I, I really respect you. I realize who you are now. I mean, we grew up together. I didn't understand why when we played games, I always had to be the Egyptian and you were the Israelite. But I get it now. I get it now. I really do. And, 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 and I, 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 dude, please take me under the water. Jesus said, no. All things need to be done righteous, righteously. Not all things need to be done righteously. You baptize me. Every king had to be announced by a prophet. You couldn't just print your business card and say king. So Jesus realized, John, you are my prophet. You must announce me. I must come under your anointing for, for my inauguration. And indeed he did. But out of that moment, it says that the heavens opened. And when the heavens opened, the, the, the father spoke. And said, this is my beloved son. In him I'm well pleased. It says that John heard it. Jesus heard it. Some other people who were sensitive to what God was saying may have heard it. But everybody else who had ears heard thunder. That's all they heard was thunder. What do you hear, dads? What do you hear? I'm begging you, open your ears to hear something. I don't know whether the climate and, and the sense of righteousness on the inside of Noah that was placed there by God made him more spiritual or whether he just had this bent to be that way as a result of the father who raised him. I'm not quite sure, but, but however he got there, he got there. There's nothing in my background that made me more spiritual than the next guy. But at some point, God began to capture my attention by his mercy so that I heard things that I might be able to build something different, not only for my community, but for my family, dads. What do you hear? He was receptive to spiritual input, was Noah. And I'm begging you, open your ears. We have to become spiritually sensitive and not allow our women to be the ones that always have the receptive antenna. I realize that women are more sensitive. My wife is more sensitive than me. She gets stuff when I don't. She hears things when I don't. She sees stuff I don't. And I've learned after 26 years to receive that rather than to resist that. Every husband knows what I'm talking about. It's vital though, gentlemen, that we become the leaders in the family not because we have an X and a Y. Simply because you're a male doesn't make you the de facto leader. You need to become spiritually sensitive in your household so that you begin to hear what direction the family needs to go in. And you begin to lead by what you hear on a regular basis. And you can't hear well until you get in this word every day of your life. Every day, gentlemen. Oh, there's too much on the line for you to be spiritually lazy. When it's time for 911, everybody prays. If this nation were attacked by an enemy force, oh, every man would be saying, oh, God. If your finances start acting a little funny, every man starts getting on his knees from the living room to the prayer closet and slides in. Oh, God. But when things don't seem to be ruffled, when life seems to be going fairly normal, most men are spiritually lazy. And I'm begging you, stop it, gentlemen. 
This world is just as messed up as in the days of Noah. The only reason he hadn't flooded it again is because he said he wouldn't. Not because we don't deserve it. Did you hear me? It's just as messed up. Folk are messed up. Now there's a remnant he would probably save. No question about that. But the world's not a whole lot better. And I'm begging you, build something for the salvation of your household. Dads, build something for the salvation of your household. Remember, that's all. Those are the only folk that that Noah saw saved. His kids and his wives. His kids, wife, and their wives. That's it, eight folk. He built this big boat for eight folk and some animals. What are you building? It says in reverence he also built. In reverence. He reverently responded to what he heard. And this was a man who, 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 it says, he was warned by God about things not yet seen. So the Lord said, I'm going to bring rain. There'd been no, no record of rain. None. It says that a mist used to rise up from the depths of the earth to water all the plants on the ground. And when God created the earth, and I don't understand this, I'm just reading my Bible. It says that when he did it, he separated the waters above from the waters beneath. Which implies that there was an envelope of water that surrounded the earth in the atmosphere. I don't even know what that feels like. All we know is clouds and sky. But then there was the earth, and, and from the depths of the water came the land. And then we have all the creation story in Genesis 1. But this envelope of water seemed to surround the earth... And there's biblical evidence, though we can't find it yet scientifically. And by the way, I am a biology major. So everything that, everything that we are coming to in terms of understanding about how the world was made scientifically in our discoveries is all going to lead to what we already know. And anything that is contradictory to what the Bible says to be true is just waiting to be refuted. Because God is not a liar. I'm, I'm just saying. He just doesn't do that. He doesn't lie. So there was this envelope of water. And God said, I'm going to bring rain. But there was never. And so when, it, when, when the flood came, it, it wasn't that rain clouds just appeared like in your stories from your Sunday school classes and your books that you read. No, this was a deluge of water whereby hundreds of gallons, bathtubs of droplets, droplets the size of bathtub water just came flooding down from heaven. Then it says the great flood deeps, great floodgates of the deep broke open too. And so there was this combination of water from above and water from below. And we do know that something happened after the flood that changed the entire environment. Because everybody before the flood, for the most part, lived 900 years and plus. After the flood, they increasingly decreased their age life, their their span of living. So we think that something happened from this envelope of water where it was now gone. And the, the, the sun's unblocked UV rays began to affect human humanity. And lifespan just began to diminish. 
Now, can I prove that scientifically? No, just ask God when you get to heaven. <laughs> Say, was Pastor Brett right? Is that what happened? I don't know, but something happened. I'm just trying to explain it. it, it, it but, but listen to me. The flood did happen. This is not just a little fairy tale to make us feel, feel better about God's moral stand to preserve humanity. It really did happen. So it had never rained, and yet Noah obeyed God by building this ark. God said, I'm going to bring rain. I'm, it's going to flood. And, 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 and Noah was building this ark at least 100 miles from the nearest water. So you can imagine what everybody else thought. Oh, my goodness. This boat was 300 cubits long. That's 400. A cubit is 18 inches. 450 yards. A football field and a half. 75 yards. 75, excuse me, 75 feet wide and 45 feet high. So three stories high, a little over. 75 feet wide and 450 feet long. 450, did I say yards before? Yes. Sorry, 450 feet yards. 450 feet long. A football field and a half. My goodness. And you can imagine everybody who's walking by. What you doing? <laughs> what, what, you, what do you do? There's no water. How are you going to get that to water? And even the rivers are too small to put that in. What are you doing? <laughs> um, God's... God, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rain. What's rain? Yeah, about that. You know, I, I, just, I just have to obey. You're crazy. It took him 100 years to build this thing. And those of you, and I love my kids. I love children. I love teenagers. But those of you who have ever tried to complete a project with your kids understand it takes longer. 100 years, 100 years. It says, though, in reverence, he did this. How's your piety, dads? If you've got hypocrisy living in your life, your children know it. They know it. They sense it. They smell it. It's hard enough raising kids when you're living right. To make them love the church, to make them love you, to make them not doubt you, to make them respect your word, to make them respect mama, to make them respect your rules, to make them live the way they're supposed to live when you're not watching. It's hard enough to raise kids right when you're living right. It's almost impossible to raise them right when you're living wrong. How is your piety? It says in reverence he re prepared the ark. In reverence. Lived with a sense of integrity and holiness every day. Didn't lower the standard because everybody else had. My son came in one day and said, Dad, I can duck. I said, what? He was, he was 14. I said, you can duck. Boy, you got that kind of hops? He said, yeah, Dad, I can duck. I said, not... Genetically, I'm 5'8", my wife's 5'10", she's taller than me, so my children aren't going to be 6'8". It's just not happening. <laughs> so right about 14, they're 5'5", five, 5'6", five, five, someplace in there. And I'm sitting there thinking, you dunked a basketball. 
a basketball on a goal you dunked? Yeah, Dad. I said, well, uh, show me. I went out to watch. And he, of course, he had lowered the goal to eight feet. <laughs> Noah didn't lower the goal. He didn't lower the bar. He did what he was supposed to. Dad, it's hard to build anything in your family if you continue to lower the bar. In reverence, he prepared an ark. It's not just that he was doing the right thing outwardly. He was being the right person inwardly. Worshipping. Loving. It says that he walked with God in chapter 6 of, of Genesis. He walked with God. Do you walk with him every day, dads? I beg you. You, you want to build something that's going to save your household? You got to build like this. You got to build like this. In reverence. He prepared an ark, got his heart right. He did the right thing every day. People were out there ridiculing him, and he just kept building, didn't care what people thought. He said, I got to do this for my family. I got to make it work for my family. And then as a result of his good actions, he became an inheritor of righteousness, a righteousness inheritor. Now, Noah knew this. He knew he wasn't perfect. God was going to judge the entire earth. And I imagine Noah had to look at himself every once in a while in that 100-year time span. And we know it was a 100-year time period because it says in Genesis chapter 6, the very first part there, that God was, was looking at what man was doing and man was doing wrong. And he said, yet I'm going to strive with man for 120 years. Now some people have thought that meant that man was going to have a lifespan of no more than 120 years. Well, everybody who lived, who came out of the ark after that, lived five, 600 years. So that's not what God could mean. Plus, Abraham lived 150 or something. So that's not what he meant. So what did he mean? He meant in that generation, 120 years is going to be the period that I strive with man. After that, it's over. So between when God spoke to, to Noah and when Noah finished the ark and the flood came was a probably a 120-year time period and then someplace in there, Noah built the ark. That's how we know it was about 100 years. Well, every day he was building. He was out there working under the ridicule of people. And though everybody was going to be judged and Noah knew it, I imagine every once in a while something rose up on the inside of him that wanted to respond to all those people who weren't treating him very well. Anybody wanted to react to folk that were dissing you? Okay, talk to people that you know who have reacted to folk who have disrespected them. Maybe you can get some perspective. Something rises up on the inside and says, hey, I'm, I'm obeying, obey, and you want to lash out at somebody as they're calling you a fool every day of your life. And then your kids are listening to this and they're probably saying the same thing in their hearts. And they got to do the work. Daddy, did you really hear right? Why are we out here? This is stupid. Where's the water for this boat? I don't know nothing about rain. Even though they may not have said this, this is what they wanted to say. Day after day when their friends were ridiculing them. At some point, 
You can imagine that something rose up on the inside of Noah that would have made him say after he said something he should not have said, God, are you going to judge me like you're going to judge them? How I responded to my kids when they were mad at me is a whole lot like the dude down the street responded to his. Now, I didn't beat my kids or nothing, but wow, I was angry. My wife and I just had a fight about this. I, was, I said things I shouldn't have said. God, what separates me from them? I'm no, I messed up just like them. We are all sons of Adam. How am I going to be saved? This is where belief makes all the difference. Because we can never be perfect in our actions. But we can be perfect in our belief. It wasn't that Noah was actually, in terms of actions, a whole lot better than the rest of humanity. Though he was more righteous, yes. But it says that he was righteous in his generation. It doesn't mean he was perfect. It just means compared to everybody else, he was better. But it doesn't mean that he didn't do wrong. The, the separation between us as believers and the rest of the world is that we believe. We believe, and our belief translates to something in our soul beyond just intellectual assent to what we know to be true. It translates to a righteousness that God imputes to us, gives us beyond what we deserve, because what we deserve is death. What we deserve is hell. We deserve that. There are none who are good, not one of us who is righteous. And please do not compare yourself with the next person who happens to be much more wicked than you to make yourself feel more righteous about yourself. And we always choose Jeffrey Dahmer. <laughs> Son of Sam. These were villains as I was growing up. Pick yours today. We always want to find a person who is most wicked and say, at least I'm not that. That way we make ourselves feel better about ourselves. That is not the standard by which we need to compare. Paul says when we compare ourselves with ourselves, we deceive ourselves. We always make ourselves feel better. None is good. No, not one. And we are all deserving of judgment because the wages of sin is death. So how in the world do we escape judgment? By believing in what God did for us. The substitutionary sacrifice that Christ gave on our behalf. The power of belief. You can believe perfectly like that. It doesn't mean you will always have the ability to hold on to that faith without wavering. But what it does mean is that you know it to be true even in the face of circumstance. You believe. You believe. And that belief allows you the privilege of being declared righteous even when you're messed up. So I can stand before God as if I had done nothing wrong because I believe that Jesus Christ already paid my penalty. This is the kind of righteousness that Noah was given. He became an inheritor of righteousness. And dad's you need this on a couple of levels. 
You need it on the level of being able to believe God to get you to glory and live right, believing right, everything that's related to your salvation. But you also need it for your family because at some point your children are going to have to just give you the benefit of the doubt. If you, if you don't know what I'm talking about, you haven't parented long enough yet. Because you make mistakes with your kids. You say stuff you wish you hadn't said. You do stuff you wish you hadn't done. And at some point, your kids are going to have to say, you're the greatest dad ever. You want them to say that, even though you know they're lying. They know they're lying. <laughs> you want that sentiment to be there. And, and it, it, it's one of those fabrications that comes from a heart that is pure enough to say, I choose to cover and forgive. Not just overlook, but cover and forgive. You want to have that response from your kids that you become an inheritor of righteous action because they have given you the privilege of of what it feels like to be forgiven and not have all of your mistakes be imputed to you on a regular basis. This is what makes relationships really good from parent to child. And even though I'm talking to dads, dads, you were once sons. You need to give this to your parents. You need to give it to your dad. Some of you didn't even know your dad. And if all you can do is relate to him on the level of you gave me life and I'm grateful because now I know Jesus and have an opportunity to live forever with him and for him, that's enough to say thank you. That's enough to say thank you. And, and you're not hearing this from a son who grew up in a perfect home. Now, Billy Graham wasn't my dad. My dad was very... If, if you knew my dad, you would not think he would produce me. Preacher. Somebody... My home doesn't look anything, nothing like what I grew up in. And because I love my family, I can't even describe to you what my home was like. I should be a stat. And I share about my family as openly as I possibly can for redemptive purposes, not to tell on them, to try to help you. When Noah got out of the ark, it says he planted a vineyard. And after a period of time, the, the vineyard produced grapes and he harvested the grapes and from the grapes he made grape juice and he drank the grape juice but the grape juice had a little kick to it <laughs> now we have no mention in the Bible ever that alcohol was ever used up to this point in fact again this is one of those things you're going to have to ask God when you get to heaven um, I think because when Noah came out of the ark God said now all these animals I gave you you're going to have to kill them and eat them because there's, there was no vegetation left. There was nothing on the earth. The whole earth was flooded. Noah had nothing to eat. That is the only reason 
animals became food. Before then, you had vegetarians. That's all men were. That's it. So I ain't mad at vegans. I do love a good pork chop, though. <laughs> but I ain't mad at vegans. They're doing it right. They're doing it right. Doing it right. But there was no food, so Adam, Noah had to kill the, the animals. But when you have devastation like that, what happens when a house floods with water and, and then the flood waters recede? What's all over the walls? It's just in the air, isn't it? it it's not like somebody applied it. Spores are just every place. You can't leave a piece of meat out on the counter without a spoiling in 24 hours. We're breathing the stuff constantly. It's just our immune system keeps us safe. It's fighting all the time to keep us alive and healthy. So corruption is in the air. Do you know how much death there was after the flood? Not only did the plants die, but a bunch of animals died and a bunch of people died. It smelled when he got out of that ark. It was terrible. My sense is that he had no idea wine was being produced. No idea that he was just doing it like he normally did it with grapes, getting grape juice. All of a sudden he left it out and it had a little kick to it. He didn't know, but it was all he had to drink. And so he drank it and probably had no idea what it would do. And so he got a little, t- little happy. <laughs> Noah got a little tipsy happy and wound up out of his mind, out of his mind, naked in his tent. Nobody had ever seen anybody drunk before. Ham comes in, one of his sons, sees him. Instead of covering his dad, he goes out and talks to all of his other brothers and the rest of the family. Say, ha, you see daddy in there? Out of his mind, just ridiculous. Look at him. What's wrong with him? Shem and Japheth, his other two brothers, going backwards to the tent with a cloak and cover their dad. You can have one or two responses to your parents' mistakes. You can go out and tell and blab and be a victim all the days of your life. Or you can go in backwards and say, I forgive. One of the two. But you want to live your life, dads, in such a way that at some point, your kids have all the reason in the world to say, I cover you. He became an inheritor of the righteousness which is found by faith. Not only that which gets him to heaven, but that which Shem Shem and Japheth gave him. Saying, we're not going to speak of this. We're going to cover our dad. We're not going to make all of his his stuff front page news. We're not going to tell everybody. There's a difference between just blabbing and giving spiritual benefit as a result of your experience always come from a redemptive standpoint and I've I've told my children when I die you can tell all my dirt whatever helps people get right I ain't mad at them I ain't mad at you whatever helps people get right that's fine not embarrassed but when it comes to to covering I don't demand things of them but they are so kind to me so kind My children are so kind. And it's not because bread is so good. 
I'm apologizing to them on the regular. Because with every child, every day is a new experience. You've never been here before. I don't care how many you've raised. You've never been there with that one. And so I'm apologizing on the regular. And they say, Dad, I forgive you. And it's as if it never happened. No permanent scars. No lingering effects. Tight relationship. I become an inheritor of the righteousness that they give me. You want to build like this, dads. And parent, uh, kids, give your parents the same opportunity that you want your kids to give you. Give them, give them a, a sense of inherited righteousness for whatever they may have done right, even if the least common denominator for righteousness is just getting you here. <laughs> 